Welcome back to the show. There's no telling where we'll go. So come and share a laugh on the Imp and Skiz podcast. All right, as promised, we are back part two with Mumbo. This this time we might actually refer to him more as Ollie because we're we're getting a little bit out of the Minecraft realm this week. We're going to talk about some of his other hobbies that he does and, uh, and maybe another channel that you may not be aware of that he has a lot of great videos on. So mm-hmm. welcome back, Ollie. Hello. <laughs> it's good to have it you back. It is nice to be here. And I, I've realized, so now that you're calling me by my real name, I have realized to this day, actually, I'm not entirely sure what your first names are. <laughs> <laughs> but so I but I've got a story about this, which is when I was when we were at Anaheim in Minecon. I don't mean to start off this filmmaking no, related do it. podcast with more <laughs> Minecraft related things. But when we were we were in Anaheim uh for Minecon, we were down at the beach at Santa Monica and we had our suitcases. It was the day that we were meant to be going home. This was me and Vicky and we had our suitcases and in England you have places on beaches and stuff like that to like put your stuff if you want to like lockers and things and they, they didn't have that um which I, I wasn't aware of so then we go into the police station and we, we ask the guy like is there anywhere for us to put our stuff and then he informs us that no like pre pre 9-11 they don't have that sort of thing which mm-hmm. fair enough um so the police guy says <laughs> he's like if if this is anything bad I'm going to be really angry at you guys. <laughs> and he let us actually store our suitcases in the police station, which was lovely. But then he asked us, do you have any contacts for people who... who Skiz, Impulse, Tango. <laughs> Literally, that is exactly what happened. Uh, yeah. So, so he asks us, and then Vicky starts rattling off your, all, all these people's Minecraft usernames, which are the shadiest sounding names in the world. And this guy... It gives me a look as if to say, you know, I am not sure I should be keeping your bags. But thankfully, I think like a little bit of British charm and our, oh. and our accents kind of got us through. <laughs> and, he, and he kept our suitcases. That's that is a funny story. Oh, my gosh. So let, well, well, come on. Let's go ahead and tell them our names then. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't care. So my name is actually Andy. Uh, I don't know if you knew okay. that. My yeah, name's yeah. Andy. Do you, you yeah. got to know his name by now? You don't know my name, do you? I think it's, I think it's, I think it's is it, it begins with a J, I think. No. 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 <laughs> Actually, here, let me help you out. That's so funny because let me it's help close. you Because <laughs> Impulse SV, the SV of, of yeah. it is actually my initials. So my, my first name is actually. Oh, it's Sean. It's close. Scott. Is it? It's Scott. It's Scott. Yeah. Yeah. How have I not? How have I never? You are so impulse in my head. Yeah, as is, yeah as that's is, how that is, works. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, that's so the funny strange. thing, right? Like, so, um, you know, as, as Skiz and I grew up together, I only knew mm-hmm. him as Andy for all this time. Yeah. And so anytime we go into yeah. this realm where uh, we're under now this, this kind of alias, it's almost hard for me to call him Skiz at times. Yeah. You yeah. know, as yeah. opposed to like people like Tango, who I met as Tango and not earlier. Yeah. So yeah. like I do know his yeah. name, but like I will never think to call him his his no. actual name. I mean, do you find that with the, no. the people that like yeah. you hang out with Grian, in the content world? Green is Green. You never yeah. call Green his actual name. Nope. Wow. Never. Very rarely. Yeah. It doesn't. It like uh, only if I'm if I'm having to talk to him with someone else there that would probably be confused by me calling him Green. It, green is Green, Iskal is Iskal. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is is by their by their Minecraft names really. Yep. Um, there's only a few, I guess. Like, I guess Martin. Like, I wouldn't call him in Littlewood, <laughs> but <laughs> I think right. he, he's he is Martin. Um, yep. And there's a lot of kind of YouTubers that I know predominantly as as friends as opposed to just youtubers um and and even though they make youtube videos like i i've never interacted with them as like a youtube thing or via minecraft so i guess i know them by their first names but but no as far as like members of the hermitcraft server are concerned it is purely in-game names yeah. which makes it sound like i'm i'm not friends with these people like we chat to one another all the time yeah <laughs> it's no. just, it just makes it easier it's just a funny thing that it never comes up you don't have to do that translation you know while you're recording the clip you don't yeah. have to like have that extra yeah. extra little calculation in your brain to say don't say their mm. real name say their you know yeah. alias yeah so that that helps yeah. that's why i've kind of like kept 
tango tango my entire yeah. time knowing yeah. him just because it i don't want to have to think about it like i do with skiz because it's it's harder with them. yeah <laughs> it's called retroactive yeah. interference um all right so yeah. let's talk let's talk cameras let's talk cinema and photography okay. you mentioned yeah. in the last one actually i was pretty shocked to hear at, at uh the the young age you were when it interested you and you became very deliberate mm -hmm about getting the equipment you needed, getting the know-how that you needed. What is it What is it like? I don't know if you can journey that far back, but what started to inspire you to want to be a part of something like that? So it, it was purely BMXing videos and skate videos. And I, I, I've, I've kind of done a little bit of digging into my own head about why that is. Um, because you would think confronted with a movie, uh, I would be inspired to make a movie. Yeah. Why is it that these <clears throat> slightly DIY kind of low budget videos really inspired me and i think that is actually the reason why they inspired me movies even to this day i will watch a movie sometimes and i'll be like that is unattainable uh it just seems so far out of reach to a certain extent that certain movies almost to me like they, they don't almost don't inspire me from a filmmaking perspective because they're so far removed from almost the filmmaking mm. of a of a movie to a certain extent yeah um and that's not that's not talking about special effects or anything like that. It's just some of these movies are so large scale that I can't imagine being in an operation that big. I just I can't picture it. Um, whereas there's something about the BMXing videos and the skate videos and the idea that you've got maybe a couple of people with a couple of different cameras and they're all different sorts of cameras. So they all have different color sciences and they all have different, you know, one of them shooting VHS, one of them's digital, one of them maybe a Super 8. Like there's something about that that style and that vibe uh, and the fact that it's all handheld and it's all it's all very human um yeah that i, like I that. found really <clears throat> interesting um and and that's something that i just clicked into at a young age and obviously it helped that they were also doing something that i was incredibly passionate about but it just it felt it felt so human it feels you know, these were these were like vlogs before YouTube existed. You have to kind of understand that in a way. Uh, a lot of these BMXing edits and films would be a trip that this BMX company has take has gone on, and they would just be filming what the trip is actually like, and you would almost be seeing little moments sliced in with the BMXing of, you know, them interacting, them having fun, them like yeah. traveling around in the tour bus, and little bits of B-roll and little bits of artistry and. Um, things that the filmmaker has decided to throw in uh, to, to spice up the edit or mix things up or give context to where they are. For, for some reason, that just really clicked with my, my young brain uh, and I could see the path to how I could create it. It felt like it was within reach and it also felt like I didn't, I didn't need I didn't need thousands and thousands of pounds and loads of people to help make them that. with me. Like I could just get yeah. a camera. It's far more intimate. Yeah, it makes sense. It's a yeah. it's an intimate experience. Yeah. And it's it's when you're holding the camera, you're holding you're holding the product in your hand. You're there yeah. with them. But you're you're right. You think about a, a movie and maybe there's like an explosion scene or something, whatever, and that's mm. months and months of meetings and and that yeah. they got to have <laughs> yeah. and getting the budget for it and the justification and getting all these, all these yeah. different uh, permits and all that. Mm -hmm. And it just takes, it, I'm with you, man. It, it, it kind of takes out of what it was supposed to all be about from the beginning. And mm -hmm. I love, I'm a, I'm a huge movie fan, but I think you're right. So. Yeah. I, I love watching movies and I always thought I wanted to be involved with movies. And I think that there's still a mm -hmm. part of that uh, with me. That's true, but you're, you're absolutely right. There's something intimate about the, the smaller projects mm -hmm. that exist that you mm -hmm. can't quite capture uh, in the movies. And that's, I'm with you. So I can tell you this. So I would have never, I, my moment that I knew I wanted to be involved in, in some sort of performance, if you will, mm -hmm. whether it was going to be theater or it was going to be acting or whatever. Uh, I was in fourth grade and I had to do uh, uh, some little, or like first grade or something. I had to do a play and I was dreading it. I was dread. I was being kind of forced to play a part in this play. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm shy and whatever. And I ended up doing it in my part. I had to personify the wind, whatever. I had to do my mm -hmm. piece. <laughs> and I remember being like, whoa, I really like this. Like, I mm. really like doing this. So I started going down that avenue of all that. And as it, as I went on my journey, I was like, I don't know if I want to do the acting thing. I think I want to do the editing thing. No, you know what? Mm -hmm. I really enjoy directing. So if all those, what do you gravitate towards more? Cause you seem to be 
huge into the editing, uh, huge into the directing. I haven't seen any uh, acting other than the mumbo piece, but what is it that you yeah. like more than anything? Yeah, so I think part of the fact that again because i because i was inspired by by such small crews and such high, like hybrid rolled crews uh i was always interested in almost like all the production side on the film side and then through youtube obviously um you know one man army kind of thing like you are you are everyone so then to a certain extent um when i approached filmmaking i came at it with that mentality when i was first learning i would do like absolutely everything um now i would say where the projects have gotten to a certain size personally like i will i will often fill the role of if i'm on someone else's project i'll be a cinematographer um so that is purely the person who is there to make it look nice and they work underneath the director so the director has a certain vision in mind of what they want it to look like i then come in and i get slightly more granular about what that actually means um so maybe the director it depends on the director but the director will come in with a certain mood that they want to like to to um to show on screen or they they they'll come in with a scene notes of how the scene is going to play out and then I'll ask me to interpret it and then it's my responsibility to then think of what lights and what sort of well, yeah what what sort of lighting and what sort of lens choice and what sort of camera angles will will uh will aid that and then I pass that information on to the gaffers and the and the camera department and everything and then they kind of do the actual functional parts of it depending on the size of the crew obviously if it's a really small crew and it's a hybrid crew certain roles get mixed up and i'll be moving lights and doing all that sort of thing but ideally on like a 10 plus person crew you'll have you'll have roles for each each of those different positions um but then on smaller projects probably where i personally like to work the most is is as a director dp because they're uh i i have a pretty good idea of what will will come across well and like i because i think through years of making youtube videos again i have a good idea of like flow and rhythm and yep. sometimes it's difficult to convince a director that this big camera swing that you're about to do where all the clients are looking at you um is actually a, a good thing to do mm -hmm. um whereas when i'm director dp i can i can visualize okay so this scene it's going to take place like this and these are the beats that we want to hit and then these handheld moves that i want to throw in i think will will keep the energy and they'll keep the camera moving in a way that that matches the feel of the scene that we want to have um and and i think that makes life just a tiny bit easier for me and i think there's also something really fun again about bringing things back to a slightly smaller scale so you can just be more dynamic there's mm -hmm. something so fun about being on a dynamic crew of say like five or six people everyone is just really good at what they do everyone can move quickly you're not having to get on walkie talkies and send messages down the line to get decisions made you can make a decision quickly and then everyone can scramble around and and we can do it fast and it's so much more creatively mobile that way than it is uh when you're on bigger sets um especially if you're on massive sets with lots of clients who also have to verify certain decisions yeah. um so that's like a very long way of saying generally i work as a cinematographer um on my personal projects i'm director and cinematographer i'll i'll do both of those roles um and and then depending on the project i will edit it i've i've had things edited in the past but again depending on style there's certain things that certain editors don't quite get if they've never had footage that is like you know maybe inspired by more bmx skate films and yeah. stuff like that and mm. these kind of transitional clips and little handheld moves and flicks and things that you can use to keep rhythm through clips um they sometimes struggle and just be like what is this <laughs> yeah uh, so sometimes it's easier for you to just to just, just go it. in there and edit it yeah. but it depends on the editor and then i i always like to if possible get a professional colorist to color the work because that's like the final stage and professional colorists are incredible and they can just take take the, the footage to just a, a whole nother level um so when we have the budget then definitely we always do that you're talking about um, are you talking about post-production coloring yeah, yeah. Like so colorists, so yeah, color grading. Yeah. So so 
they, like I color grade a lot of my stuff and I have a certain style that I can work to. But as soon as I need to go outside of that style, um, my style is kind of slightly more film stock inspired. It's slightly crunchy. It's It's got a lot of contrast. Um, it, as soon as I have to go out of that style, say we're doing like a slightly cleaner commercial or something like that, um, then yeah, you definitely have to get a professional colorist in who will be able to 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 get the look that the client wants, basically. Um, hmm. So that was a really long way of saying that I like being a director, DP, predominantly cinematographer. Sometimes I'm involved in post, um, depending on the project. Never, never interest you to get in front of the camera. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> look at that smile. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Chris, Chris said the same thing when him and uh, Jack were doing their their short films on their channel. Uh, his yeah. least favorite part of that was being <laughs> in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and having I can imagine. Act. Yeah. yeah. So these, well, especially these... because <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I, 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 it's just the way that so there's a certain style that I also like, again, probably inspired from old skate films. I, I quite like the wider lenses um, and there's a certain look that um, has actually become a lot more popular recently, but it was popularized by a director called Terrence Malick, which is extremely wide angle lenses even for close-ups and the thing <laughs> is about an extremely wide angle lens for a close-up is you're you're sometimes like this far from someone's face <laughs> and someone did that to me recently and i realized how incredibly uncomfortable it is <laughs> having like a giant cinema camera like this oh far from your face <laughs> and then just trying to act natural as if it's not there yeah. Oh, man. yeah so it might benefit me to actually get in front of the camera a little bit and get a feel for the positions that i'm putting mm. putting actors into yeah, yeah. that makes sense so the, these uh these skills that you've obtained in order to get these these different roles in in directing and mm -hmm. cinematography and, and everything mm -hmm. were, were they mainly self-taught were they it was this something that came to you through your time on youtube are you uh have you had to take classes classically trained in that way or how did you how did you actually get to the point that, that you have all this knowledge and skill in this in this arena um so i think i think i would be foolish to not acknowledge the the many thousands of videos that I've made prior to making films. I think I think it would be silly for me to not acknowledge that there's at least some understanding of video structure and flow and and creating videos for different types of platforms. Um, so I think that definitely translated and that came that that made me come in at maybe a slightly higher level than someone who would otherwise be like completely fresh to it. Um, with that being said, I still came in like looking back at my old stuff. Is I I I do it occasionally to remind myself how far I've come. Um, I was definitely pretty amateur, and I definitely had no idea. Um, and and the all, all I had was like an honest love for what I was doing and an honest interest in in wanting to improve and a genuine curiosity as to how I could go about getting better. Um, whether that involved learning more about lighting, learning more about color theory, learning more about about certain stylistic choices that directors have made, going through that same phase that I went through with my YouTube channel of sometimes imitating people too much, going, go, you know, watching a certain director and then falling in love with that style and 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 almost imitating them a little bit too much, then coming back to my baseline, but still taking little bits of essence away and and gradually finding my own kind of signature and style uh, and that can only come from years of of doing stuff and making things and then watching them back and sometimes disliking them and trying to work out why you dislike them and <laughs> and working out what other people are doing that that makes their work look a certain way and trying to trying to get into that headspace and um yeah, it, it all comes from just a genuine curiosity and a genuine love for it and a genuine want to make better stuff, basically. Have you ever been part of making a music video? Yeah, yeah. So I've made a few a few music videos. Um, they're always really good fun. Like, the, there's never enough money, but that's absolutely fine because people are always super receptive to creative ideas. <laughs> and people are always willing to, like, d dedicate time to music videos because they're super fun. Um, so I've made a couple of them. Uh, a lot of them are slightly more kind of traditional music videos than more like acoustic style music. But we've done some really, really pretty ones. Um, we did one in like an old chapel, which I think was damaged during the war. And it, it's like an amazing looking place. And then we had these like big tungsten lights in there that look really pretty. And we were shooting on anamorphic lenses. And it's just, 
Hmm. Uh, everywhere you pointed the, the camera just looked really pretty. So that was a fun one. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then there's been a few more like narrative based music videos as well that I've done as well. Yeah. It's kind of funny because like it, being on Hermitcraft, it's every once in a while we're just like, Oh, Mamo's not here this week. He's off on a film shoot in Costa Rica. <laughs> like, like he just he gets called away for for these jobs, and it's like it, it's easy to forget that that you're so much more than just your your Minecraft YouTube channel. So, tell us a little bit yeah. more about like what you have on on your second channel when it comes to uh, some of the projects you've been doing. In case people aren't aware, yeah. So, I I mean, I guess I I will preface the second channel with being that was always almost. Like a, I don't want to use the term creative junkyard, but that's kind of the the term that comes to mind for me. Where it was truly a place for me to just upload experiments and just get them done. Because, as I'm sure you understand, you you've all worked on creative projects. Sometimes it's so hard to finish something, and if you don't mm -hmm. have somewhere to deliver the finished thing, you will endlessly be working on it. Yep. And then you can get a little bit nihilistic about it as well if it's not actually going somewhere. So that that platform always existed as a place for me to share my, my passion projects. And then also, almost in a similar way to how I learned Redstone, it's I was sharing the process of me learning filmmaking for anyone that's curious. Because just like how I was inspired by the DIY-ness of the BMXing videos that I saw when I was 12 years old, there might be people who have never been inspired by large Hollywood films before, but maybe see something that I'm making that is small and actually seems attainable, and I might be able to provide them with a little bit of information about actually like what the thought processes are, what 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 one has to go through to create a shoot like this. And I thought that information might be valuable to some people. So I would just share that whenever I had an opportunity and, and spare time to do it. Um, so, yeah, that, that channel exists right now. I think I haven't uploaded something. I haven't uploaded anything for a little while. Um, but I'll always just if I have an idea or something that comes to mind that is a, a passion project i'll always throw it up there and then generally try my best to break down how we shot it just so people get a good idea of, of how it came about basically that's amazing that's awesome <laughs> tell me about the the rig behind you i gotta know this so anybody who's <laughs> listening yeah there's people who are audio only i'll try to explain uh he's got about 600 cameras behind him there is a lot yeah, yeah. and then I, mean, I can run through them yes do it <laughs> please know? do yeah I'll what do you know. got back there okay, yeah, so there's there's quite a few. So um, I guess I can I can start with sort of my favorite ones. I guess um, so. Th this one's probably funny enough. This one's probably my favorite one, which is my Fuji X100V. This is a stills camera, so this isn't actually for filmmaking. This is for photography. Mm -hmm. um, but because I have access to such a large amount of equipment for filmmaking, uh, you sometimes get hit by the issue of choice. You have so many options and so many ways in which you can alter the image. Whereas this is probably the camera that I have shot maybe 99.99% of my photos with over the past three years. Um, it's a fixed lens camera. It's just got a 23 millimeter lens. I leave it basically in full auto mode. <laughs> and <laughs> it is literally like, it's a case of, I will just pull it up, I will turn it on and then just go like that and then put it back down. Um, so if I see a piece of light or I see a scene unfolding in front of my eyes that I think is interesting, like I will do that. And it's like a zero barrier to entry photo. Hmm. And I'm so familiar with what the focal length is and what the, cam the photos look like coming out of this camera. I know exactly what the frame will be. So I know... I know exactly what the photo is going to look like yeah, like yeah. as soon as I shoot anything with this. So um, I have a I yeah. have a stupid question about that camera you're holding. <laughs> I was yep. going to do this. Yeah. Is it film or yeah. is it digital? No, no. So it's digital, but then okay. I do have the film variant <laughs> there we go. of it here, which is like an old Olympus Trip 35mm uh, film camera. So that's like the equivalent. Fixed lens. It's almost like a, it's, it's a point and shoot. It's, it's yeah. like a granddad camera, basically. Um, but yeah, I love it. Like That's what I shoot most of my stuff on. Um, stills wise and then sorry my audio is going to go as I, that's as I okay, turn that's around okay. but I'll quickly grab stuff yeah uh, yeah so <laughs> this one <laughs> look looks, at this thing this one looks heavy it's in a giant rig <laughs> yes. it looks it looks more than heavy it looks expensive yes it does <laughs> it is quite expensive yeah this is this is a pricey bit of kit so this is essentially that's oh, the wrong way around oh god don't break it <laughs> oh. um so this is so this is a a big gimbal um 
so gimbals have gotten a lot smaller over the years, but this is still this is still probably the industry standard or one of the industry standards. It's a free fly Movi Pro. It's for use. It's for shooting high speed car stuff. So this will often be attached to the back of a vehicle on a big suspension arm. Uh, it's kind of I think the fastest this has ever gone is about 115 miles an hour on a racetrack, which wow. is pretty good, and it won't lose it won't lose its angle. So you can go around corners really fast on it and it will still hold its its direction and it won't wobble too much. Um, it's controlled with a PlayStation 4 controller, which is always pretty funny. <laughs> oh, no <laughs> um, way. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So yeah, and you can, you can use it handheld as well. Like this big ring here exists so that I can hold it and I'll basically, uh, it's got itself tangled up, but yeah, I'll hold it like this. Um, that's, and then, yeah, little black magic design camera, see, big cinema camera. That is beautiful. And, it, and that's how it's yeah. supposed to be. So once upon a time, I was in my own film class, and I had to make this short film. And part of it, uh, there was quite literally a, a, a scene where I there was guy a, a guy with two pistols who was sprinting. And I had all these different camera angles that I had to do. One was, you know, like a, a pan shot and a top-down shot. But I wanted an mm -hmm. intimate shot with him, so I ratcheted yep. my body to the back of my buddy's car, <laughs> and I just and I, yeah. and I just held the camera on my fingertips, and it was actually yeah. a pretty good shot. But that's yeah, well, it was a, good. a skiz skimble skimble. It was a skimble. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what you'll find is like the human body is an incredible stabilizer. Like no matter how much I strap that thing to suspension arms and everything, there is no better stabilize a system than me being strapped to the boot of a car because it's just your arms are so incredibly oh, good at anticipating bumps and everything oh very it's good just, it's not particularly legal yeah, <laughs> yeah that's fair so um, so yeah, you have then, all this oh, equipment was, like uh, how often are you buying new stuff oh my goodness okay he pulled yeah, so out this, an this even like bigger camera main, this is like the main i guess like actual cinema camera so this would be the one that is the A cam, I guess. So this is okay. what I would normally shoot with. So it's got a Teradec on it, which gives you. Oh, so this is fully set up actually right now. So yeah, Teradec, which is wireless video. Uh, you got focus motors there, which attach to the cinema lenses. So that means that you've got remote focus, which is always good. Um, wow. Monitors. This one's very dusty. <laughs> but yeah, so I put my monitor on it. But yeah, yeah, it's all. So this is like the main cinema camera. Um, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's really it creates such a beautiful image. The, the Blackmagic design cameras are incredible. Yeah, so I was asking as you're grabbing that, like, how how often do you buy new cameras? Like, do you have because a lot of a lot of people that get into like gear, any kind of gear. I, I'm into like streamer tech gear. Mm -hmm. I, I'm constantly yeah. buying mixers and stuff. Like, do you find mm -hmm. yourself in that realm when it comes to cameras or anything else in the in the like photography world? I think I definitely used to. It's, it's going to be difficult for me to say no with that amount of kit behind <laughs> <Right>. me. <laughs> I think anything I say is just going to, yeah, that's going to definitely taint the the view. Um, what I will say is I'm very fortunate that Blackmagic Design actually sent over that big cinema camera, so that's nice. And actually the small one that's in the gimbal, um, which is great. They they were incredibly supportive of of my filmmaking endeavors, and I made a lot of the launch films for the Pocket 6K Pro and then the Pocket 4K, they, they hired me to shoot the films that launched the camera, which mm. is quite a, hmm. a cool experience. It's like the dream commercial, um, really, to shoot a commercial for the camera that you're shooting a commercial yeah, on. Yeah, that is <laughs> um, cool. It's pretty cool. Um, so in terms of like actually buying equipment, I would say now I'm really happy with where those cameras render an image. I'm... I, I, the color science of them is beautiful. Um, there's really nothing that I want more from a camera. I think I'm now almost in the very boring side of acquiring equipment. So it's things like clamps and just <laughs> like weird little things that you see on a film set that you're like, oh man, like that's such a good solution to this tiny problem that I keep running into. So I'll have like, you know, boxes and boxes of clamps just dotted around. Um, even like this, like my microphone is on like oh. a... <laughs> oh, I would not have expected a variety of different clamps. <laughs> not <laughs> you your know? standard so microphone little... boom arm. It's like straight up <laughs> yeah. from a movie set. <laughs> it's like a C stand arm, you know. And oh. like I'll have, you know, I it, it's just it's just stuff that you'll you'll see on a film set, and you'll think that 
is incredibly useful. So I'm in a really boring phase where I'm just buying like sheets of fabric and clamps and clips. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the most part, I'm really happy with with everything that I own. But I have gone through that in the past. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I knew that I knew that like you were really like into gear and uh, you would like do a lot of research and, and, mm-hmm, and all that. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day when I was looking for a new microphone, I basically was mm-hmm. just like, Mumbo, what are you using? And then that's, and I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm just going to buy that. And so for, <laughs> for years, I used the same exact microphone as you have right now. Nice. So, um, yeah, I mean, as far as like cameras go, it seems like anytime I've had a question on, uh, on cameras, I, I'm like, you're the first person I think of. I'm just going to ask Mumbo. Yep. Like, like what, yeah. what, what would you buy if like you were in our situation of, of like needing cameras for recording the podcast or anything like that? Well, it's it's a funny one because it's like there's there's two conflicting arguments. There's the the equipment makes a big difference, but then equally, I have rented some incredibly expensive cameras in the past, and like the difference is very marginal between between say my my Black Magic cameras back there and um, some of the cameras that I've used. And then equally, I have shot some horrendously ugly things on some very high-end equipment. And I've actually shot some of my favorite stuff on like this little thing here, which this is a, a tiny pocket cinema camera. Um, this shoots beautiful stuff. It's, mm. it's really pretty. And I've shot some of my favorite shots have been on this little thing. Um, it's just a case of, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If, if the thing in front of the camera mm-hmm. is bad, it doesn't matter what you're shooting on. It's still going to look bad. Um, and that's something that it, it, it's a difficult conversation to have because because it is really easy to go out and buy a new camera. It's maybe less easy to spend years learning how to use it. And I think YouTube, unfortunately, like skews a little bit too far towards the gear acquisition and less towards this is actually how you use a camera and this is how you make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I think I think that can lead into the problem of thinking that the equipment is actually the issue when the reality is sometimes it's it's what you're shooting. Right. I guess. You can have the fanciest um, equipment if you don't know how to use it. Yeah. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. totally. And this is coming from someone who has had very fancy equipment and shot some awful things on it. <laughs> <laughs> do you um Mumbo, do you have uh, like a favorite director? Do you have a favorite like genre of movies like this is all of this started with you at a very young age and i I can honestly i promise you i can identify with that because i just i just learned when i was younger i'm supposed to be involved in the creation of something whether that's entertainment Mm -hmm. based i just knew it at an early age i loved cameras i love being backstage i love doing theater i Mm -hmm. love directing i love all of that stuff but it was it came from something i was i remember watching movies mm-hmm. being inspired by certain directors or certain stories or the way something was shot i will watch a movie and i'll be sitting there with my wife and watching a movie and there will be two or three seconds of a certain frame and i'm like whoa whoa hold on and i go back and i pause <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it and i'm like look at yeah. this shot look at this shot yeah. it's very very deliberate and it's and it's the, mm. the there's this shot in itself is conveying so much and she's like what are you talking about you know what I mean? Anyway, because it's, but, but she liked it, but, but it was like, I, I can't, like, I get so consumed in the beauty of these things I, I I've seen that that's when I'm just like, yeah, I can't, I can't let go of this world. I just want to be a part of it so bad. Who, who's your favorite? Who inspires you? Oh, I mean, there, so there's, there's like different levels, I guess. So from, from the movie side, I guess I'm going to, I'm going to skew towards cinematographers here, probably more so. Um, One of, one of, uh, pretty much every cinematographer's favorite cinematographer is is Roger Deakins. Um, he shot Blade Runner, uh, the latest Blade, the new Blade Runner, nineteen uh, seventeen. He does a lot of the Coen Brothers films. They're just gorgeous. Like he's an incredible painter of with light. Like he just seems to know, and it's so simple. Um, it, to a to a point where it's almost frustrating when you see like <laughs> the background behind the scenes stuff. It's like oh, there's just like a white sheet here that's bouncing the sun. And it's like I don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't understand how this frame is so gorgeous when it's that simply done. But I think it's it's almost like that thing that you were talking about earlier. Sometimes it's the lights that you haven't switched on that actually make the the shot look beautiful. And Roger Deakins is very good at lighting at the right amount, not overlighting. Mm. He embraces the shadow. Um, same with there's another cinematographer called Linus Sangreen. Um, fantastic in terms of like the smaller scale stuff i guess i can give i can give 
some like smaller scale directors who have a really strong visual style that I really like, um, which are there's a person called Massio Frost um, who is incredible. Does some he's done some beautiful commercials, but also done some just absolutely stunning uh, documentaries. And he's done a, a documentary called Live to See, which is just a fantastically beautiful uh, surf documentary. It's just amazing. Um, and then there's a guy called Solomon Lichhelm, which I've probably said his name slightly wrong, um, but he's an incredible director of generally music videos, um, but also short films and things. And yeah, I find his work incredibly inspiring. So I, I guess I'll mention the smaller ones because there's there's a lot of kind of big ones that I could go through and like Ben Davis and stuff like that who work on the really big films. But some of the smaller ones that I'd like to give light to are, the, are those two because I find their work so inspiring for a similar reason to what we talked about earlier with the size of the crews. And they're definitely working at a much higher level than me, but it feels quite attainable um, and it feels like it's it's something that I, I honestly have to sometimes turn off like halfway through because I can just feel it in my body that it's like, well, I I, ne- I now need to go out and make something. Like I can feel those yeah. shots. Like I know I know how that's come about. I can I can picture myself being on set there and and I find myself getting so creatively inspired that I actually have to turn it off because otherwise it's going to derail my whole day. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it'll consume you. Know? you. It'll consume you. You yeah. know, uh, there, there's one of the, I mean, it's a, it's a bigger name, but um, and he gets a lot of static, but uh, M. Night Shyamalan, right? He's, I, mm-hmm. I actually yeah, yeah, think, yeah. That I don't I don't love all of his movies, but I that he's got some movies that I, I like, and it's the, mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm. style is not even that much of my style, but he's got some, he's got some gems in my opinion. And there was a scene in the movie Signs, which is about the it's about aliens who have, have come to Earth. There is a scene in Signs that is I can't even he the ability to do so much with nothing is was so impactful. And then this really could have been an an editor thing, if you will. But there's a scene mm-hmm. where they they there's a suspicion that the alien actually entered the house, but they don't know. They're upstairs, and one of the characters. Uh, goes downstairs. Actually, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, who was mm-hmm. playing Merrill, mm-hmm. goes down the stairs uh, to check to look downstairs. They didn't follow him. They didn't show it from his POV. They didn't show the reaction of the people who stayed upstairs. They had a camera on a tripod that pointed down the stairs. He goes and there's no foley arts. Well, there's foley arts of footsteps, mm-hmm. but there's no music. Mm-hmm. And he goes down mm-hmm. the stairs and he turns to the left or the right and goes off screen for a while. And the camera just Stay. sits there. Yeah. And they, there's yeah, no yeah. dialogue. There's no music. Mm-hmm. There's nothing. There's no action for about 12 full seconds. And it is terrifying. Yeah. And yeah. I'm yeah. like, it's literally, you're just showing me stares. And I just, I want to <laughs> freak out right now. And that's when I was like, yeah, that right there, that's the type of stuff I want to tap into is that artistic uh, component of it rather than just shoot, yeah. you know, hit record and let's see what yeah. we can do. What like mm-hmm. what what can we do that we could have not that we never would have thought of? And that's the type mm-hmm. of stuff that inspires me. It's it's fun. It's fun, man. No, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I, I get excited in the same way that you just described there. That uh, naturally none are coming to the to the top of my head right now uh, <laughs> that I can think of. But I know exactly what you mean when you're sat watching off a, a film and you're like that is is not the conventional choice of what should be done here yes and that makes it so interesting yep. <laughs> uh, and it's really easy as a viewer watching it and understanding what they've done I, like it's easy to watch and, and see how they've done it but it's a whole nother thing to put your head into the mindset of the people who created it and yes. think how that decision came about because you have to imagine that's probably that's I, I haven't actually seen that film, but that's probably a very key moment of the film. Yeah. The discussion that would have to come about that this is a really key moment. Shall we just not show it? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like <laughs> such a bold, creative yeah. decision. Yes. And then like you you have to imagine that meeting where, you know, maybe the director's sitting with the cinematographer and they're like, Why don't we just what if we just left it on the stairs? You know, what if we just left it here? Yeah. Um and then thinking about how that could sit and how that would feel and do we shoot some coverage for safety or do we just go all in and do this for sure like you know all those all those conversations come up and i find that so fascinating yeah um this is so one of uh my favorite movies and it's one of yours if not your favorite movie is i I really like american beauty it's a it's an incredible Mm -hmm. incredible cinematic experience and i just I, i i love the movie 
Well, there's a scene in there uh, where he talks, where Ricky Fitz, one of the characters, um, he films everything, everything he mm -hmm. experiences. He's always filming. He just, I don't, it's, there's a lot to unpack there, but he talks about the most beautiful thing he's ever filmed. And it's quite literally, mm -hmm. it's just a bag floating in the wind. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of yeah, yeah, on yeah. service level. You're like, what, what is this? But the way they did it was they connected you with Ricky Fitz's character to where I, you kind of, I think I can see the beauty. Yeah. It's just like, mm -hmm, I can mm -hmm. actually see what he's talking about. And he explains how there's some sort of benevolent force that was kind of working through this bag and just begging me to play with it. So he personifies garbage and it was like, mm -hmm. it was very well done. And what's interesting about that is I remember thinking, I wonder how hard it was to create that. Like what kind of like little fans <laughs> and stuff did I have to use to create this little mm -hmm. vortex? I ended up learning later. And for the record, I learned this from my, my professor when I was this, I was going to school for this. So I don't know how true mm -hmm. it is. Uh, what that apparently was, was the director gave the actor who played Ricky Fitz a camera and said, just go find something, film random yeah, stuff yeah, and we'll yeah. make it beautiful. That was real. The oh, actor found yeah. that bag. He's like, Oh, I'm going to film this. And that became this pivotal oh, moment. Gosh. Isn't that fascinating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happens. And, and that's, there's like a lot of phrases like that. Like there's in cinematography, if a light falls over, like check the frame before you see, before you put the light back up like see what see what's happened like without that it, it might be better being there you <laughs> yeah. know like there's all these there's things that happen all the time by accident and and i think that comes back to why i really enjoy small crews because it's that that quickness that you can have where you can just say to the six or seven other people that are around you like hey like, quiet on set i'm gonna roll right now um this is a magical moment like the lights maybe the sun's come out and it and it's casting a beautiful streak across the room and it's it's catching the haze perfectly like we need to film right now yeah um mm. and and there's there's moments that you'll capture that are really pretty even if you you you're you put the camera down <laughs> on the floor and it will pick out something that so you've got like a thing that's happening on the floor like i was doing a short film recently and there was a uh a character that had to interact with something on the floor i literally put the camera down and then I, I like glanced at the monitor and i was like hey, that's quite a nice frame it's quite a nice like there's quite a nice bit of depth in there like there's there's like a streak of light happening in the foreground then it goes dark and then it's picked out in the background like this actually could work why don't we just roll it like this and then it ended up in the cut like this is that's awesome <laughs> sometimes it, it's awesome to just be spontaneous and and yeah creatively open to to wacky ideas yeah, I think if I'm not mistaken, this might also not be true, but I think it is Tom Felton, I believe is his name. He played Draco Malfoy and mm -hmm. uh, Harry Potter. There's a scene where he mm -hmm. says to one of his like, or he thinks it's one of his henchmen or whatever, but I, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. But he says like, you know, where, where why are you wearing glasses? And he's, and he's like, because yeah. I was reading. And Tom Felton says reading, and apparently he forgot his next line. So the actors all, <laughs> I didn't know you could read. And then it was just in the movie. So you're right. It was like, he, you literally yeah. like were so grateful that you forgot your line because this was so yeah, much yeah. better. <laughs> so you find yourself yeah, totally. uh, splitting your time, I guess, in, in a way now between making your, your Minecraft YouTube content and dabbling in the world of directing photography and everything like that. Uh, do you see this as something that, like, should, uh, you know, something happen and, and, and you end up no longer making Minecraft videos, you find yourself mm -hmm. doing, like, past the mumbo-jumbo Minecraft era? Is this something you, like, look at as, like, a long-term career, potentially? So I think that's definitely uh, something that I kind of somewhat experimented with when I took my break from YouTube last year. So I ended up doing... Uh, a lot of onset days. Uh, I, I worked on a lot of commercials. I was working on in different capacities on 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 various different film sets as well. Did a few music videos. Did some documentary projects. I basically, I think, in the end, spent in in the course of about six months about forty five onset days, which is quite a lot wow. uh, as a cinematographer. Um, and I think, well, funnily enough, it made me realize how much I, I like YouTube. Like, I, it's not that I was necessarily disliking YouTube, but it, it made me realize how nice it is being the person who has control of the story and working on so many client shoots. Um, because obviously, it's all well and good me doing passion. Passion projects are always going to be so much fun. Like, they're passion projects. That is what they're all about. But client projects for commercials, obviously, at the end of the day, you're the story that you want to convey or the creative decisions that you want to make have to be passed through 
a lens of is this actually monetarily like monetarily viable for the company? Is mm-hmm. this going to have like a positive ROI? And all those sorts of boring questions, <laughs> which seat. are necessary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing creative, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, and and I think it made me realize that um, going forward, I'm actually committing like wholeheartedly to to YouTube because I have so much passion for it, and I can actually put a lot of my creative energy towards making YouTube videos, and then put client work on the back burner for the time being um, and hopefully put myself in a position where once if eventually YouTube fades out and I can no longer make videos anymore I can be in a position where I can take jobs that actually align with what my values are so working for Hmm. climbing companies working for outdoors brands surfing companies working for conservation based uh, companies working for companies that that align with what my interests are whereas I think previously I had done a lot of commercials for like banks and yeah. financial institutions and and all sorts of just regular commercials. It's just regular commercial work, which is great. I enjoyed it. I absolutely loved it. But I think going forward it would be wonderful if I could if I could use my skills in in the industry um in a in a way that aligns with what, what I believe in basically. Um Yeah. Which, talk talk yeah. about that that break that you took. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I do you feel like part of that was like you've been doing it for 10 years and, and maybe a little bit of burnout creeping up on you or what, what kind of led you to make that decision to step away from YouTube for as long as you did? Yeah. So, um, oh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one for me to pinpoint down. Um, I think I definitely felt a little bit overwhelmed. Like I was trying to do a lot of things. I was trying to be an industry filmmaker whilst also making YouTube videos. Um, I think also <laughs> this is this is going to sound crazy to people who maybe don't understand this sort of thing. But uh, in December of that year, like I had set myself a pretty audacious goal of uh, if if I eat, say like a, I well, it originally was. So I, I set myself the goal of if I eat a pizza during the year, I, I would have to donate like a thousand pounds, which is a lot. That's a lot of money, especially mm-hmm. if you stop making YouTube videos. It's a lot of money. <laughs> it becomes a lot more money. It's a lot. Of, it's a, that's an expensive pizza. That is. <laughs> yeah. A very expensive pizza. And then that then, and then I then made it even more aggressive where I was then making it so that it was if I eat processed snacks or drink like a soda. So there was like, there was like a lot of things that would cause a thousand pound donation. And, um, food is something that I've struggled with for like a very long time. Uh, and that was like a, a knee jerk reaction to thinking that that would be a way to kind of sort, like get a handle on that. Um, I think the problem came when, um, I kind of, I found a reason. So I, I, I basically when during March, um, there was a certain campaign for Save the Children for the, the people in Ukraine. And I was thinking to myself, well, I want to donate. <laughs> I want to donate to that. So then I was like, well, I'll donate a thousand pounds. Like I want to donate. And then that means that I can I can eat this food. <laughs> um, little did I know, <laughs> like obviously the donation was the main goal, but it, it was very interesting from like a, a, well, I'll say how it is, like a food addict's perspective how then that like switched my mentality very quickly mm. to a point where like every morning I would wake up and I would wonder like is there a reason for me to donate a thousand pounds today uh, to charity that that means well so that I can just immediately start binging on food like mm. <laughs> immediately wow. <laughs> uh, wow. which is which is like a crazy sort of like only people who have struggled with I guess like addiction issues or you know because that is there's an irrational response. Um, and it got to a point where I think I had I had almost lost my coping me- mechanism for dealing with maybe feel, feeling overwhelmed on YouTube. And then I had this whole extra thing where every day I was like evaluating and constantly had my mind going at a thousand miles an hour. Um, and it got to a point where I just couldn't I couldn't keep up with it. Yeah. You- uh, so I took a month off. <laughs> and then ended up taking six months off. Yeah. So you actually, it's just, this is, this is fun. I, I, <laughs> it really is. Cause it's just, it's just, it's an honor to get to know you and you're being pretty vulnerable yeah. right now. And, and that's, yeah, this is a great, this is a great moment, man. And 
as a creator, we all, all of us are. And, and I'll tell you this, it's so much fun to talk to you about this stuff and all the cameras behind you and the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but when he picked up the cameras, he became a bull in a China shop. He was like <laughs> smashing his bike, you know, just, you're, you're so excited about it, which means when it comes to creating, it is, it's your id, it's your, it's your center. Yeah. yeah. But you actually yeah, created yeah. A, a video that was titled, I hate everything I create and that's okay. Yeah. And I thought that was really, yeah. really, uh, very illuminating, and I thought mm-hmm. it was—I I thought it was a, an excellent message. But I'm curious, what compelled you to make that video, and what was the message you wanted people to receive out of it? I mean, it, look, I think what what inspired me to make it was actually Ben Davis, one of my favorite cinematographers, talking about three billboards uh, outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which is one of my favorite films. It's a film that I think is absolutely stunning. I, it's, it's kind of almost semi-faultless in my eyes, and. He was talking about how he can't watch it because he hates it. Mm. <laughs> and I'm sat there thinking to myself, well, this is this is Ben Davis, one of the best cinematographers in the game. He Not only did he shoot um, three billboards, he recently did Banshees. Uh, I think it's Ban- Banshees of Inishirim, which is a fantastic film again. But then side projects, he also shot the Avengers films and all of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. definitely someone who's who's big in the film industry. And he was talking about how he couldn't watch um, Three Billboards or any of the films that he makes because he struggles with, he's like, why do they use that shot? Like the camera shake there, the light's in the wrong place there. What was I doing? What was I thinking putting the light there? Like, it should have been completely different. And I thought it was valuable for me to share on a much smaller scale that these feelings are natural as a creative person and that you in your head that like a project is perfect in your head when you when you visualize a project it's flawless it's, it's got the best shots in the world this is going to be a complete game changer and then as you start creating it it becomes very apparent that it's definitely not going to live up to that perfection in your head mm-hmm. and it's understanding that that's okay like this is part of the process and then generally speaking you'll kind of come to terms with that and then you'll go through the editing process and hate it again so it'll kind of do this it's like <laughs> it starts it's perfect that's day minus one that's before you've started <laughs> you start shooting it and your motivation starts to to descend yeah. <laughs> uh, when you realize it's not perfect and then it kind of comes back up as you realize this is all part of the process then as you're editing it you become convinced <laughs> it's the worst thing that's ever existed and you shouldn't release it <laughs> and then probably about two years later it's kind of come back up to baseline and you're at peace with it and you're like you know what? I'm actually happy with that. And I thought it was worth sharing about yeah. that creative process and it, understanding that, yeah, it the life of a creative resonated. is actually not, is is not all kind of positive, just free expression. Everyone's having a blast. Like, no, it can be like crippling yeah. self-doubt and pain and being heartbroken about how this project that's been your baby in your head isn't actually coming together, but understanding that that's absolutely fine. And um, you should keep going anyway, regardless. That video definitely hit home really hard with me because it was I was <laughs> I was battling that that kind of feeling of um, like constantly overanalyzing my own stuff and and having those yeah. same kind of feelings and always thinking that like tomorrow me has to do better than yesterday mm. me yeah. and putting that extra pressure on mm. myself every time I went to create was leading to um, you know just a lot of, of of just imposter syndrome and and things mm-hmm. like that and so when I, I remember when you, you released that video I was like a breath of fresh air just knowing that I wasn't like <laughs> alone in feeling that way so thank you for making that video because it, it, it was it was a, at the right moment for me as a creator oh, to, to see that I wasn't alone so I appreciated it for yeah. sure no it's yeah. it, it's yeah. it's very it's a very healthy video it's a very healthy message and you're saying it beautifully. Mm. Like this is, it's part of the process. It's what you're saying, or I guess yeah. process. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I like saying, I guess I'm going to start saying process more it than sounds, process. It sounds proper. better. Yeah. yeah. It's got the word pro in it, but, but this is, it is part of the process where you have to be at peace with the fact that you are, you have chosen, uh, if you're a creative person and you're doing this, you've chosen to take your creativity and put it out into the ether for the world, mm-hmm. uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, to judge. But nobody's going to judge it any harder, you know, worse than we are ourselves. Yeah. No. And you've got to be totally cool with it because there's no such thing. Not one artist mm-hmm. probably ever, other than maybe Bob no. Ross and not even Bob Ross, has like <laughs> just everything they've made. They're like, I did it again. I'm amazing again. It just yeah. it doesn't work like no. that. It yeah. just, it's not just at part, all. Yeah. Let's talk about I think something. Some, just quickly, one thing that I want to say. I'm sorry, I, I didn't no, want to cut you off there. Go for it. But, go for it. But I think it's worth 
it's worth mentioning also like the term creative person i think is is one that i i genuinely believe like all humans are absolutely super creative and i think sometimes people get caught up in maybe the aesthetics of a, of a creative person you know you imagine someone with like roll-up jeans and vans and like a baseball cap and it's like well i'm not that like uh-huh. you know and or you get caught up in the idea that you have to be in a, some loft apartment in new york city painting mm. um I don't think that's the case at all. Like everyone has the capacity to be creative. And I think sharing that actually the creative process does involve pain um, helps people realize that they are capable of creativity. They, they just <laughs> like this is the universal experience uh, mm-hmm. that creativity does come with some pain. And I think some people can get caught up. They can say, like, I'm not a creative person because they find the activity of creativity difficult maybe they go to draw something and it doesn't come out quite how they imagined and they imagine that that's not universally the case and i think it's super Mm. important to make it clear that actually like everyone is capable of being creative um and that the universal experience is is doubting yourself and struggling with it and sitting mm. with it and then progressing and getting better. Um, yeah, very good point. That yeah. is a good point. Sorry, sorry to cut you off there. No, no, I want to <laughs> hold on before, and I'm going to cut you off too. Because I want to, I want to. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I just, I'm just sitting here getting worried about how much time he's left, got left on his camera recording. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, we got, we got 11 minutes. We're okay, good. We're good. Keep track of that. All right. <laughs> I'm going to continue with what he just said because that was, that was an amazing message. And, and to add on to it, I, I, I I don't want to say it's overly optimistic because I I agree with you, but it, it's just to add on to it. Everybody has the capacity to be, to be creative, but just in different, very very different ways. Yeah. And I would say for yeah. a lot of people out there who are listening right now or watching, who have convinced themselves right now that they are not creative, and I and I'm willing to mm-hmm. bet several of them said out loud, "Well, I'm not." Mm-hmm. All it, it means mm-hmm. it literally means one of two things, if not both things. Uh, you haven't found what it is that you have a knack for. Or mm-hmm. you did and you tried it and it, and it sucked for a second and you gave up right. because on, mm-hmm. on, on top mm-hmm. of like scrutinizing the things that we make, we have to be at peace with the fact that we're going to make some garbage sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to, you got to do it. Yeah. You got to, I mean, in fact, <laughs> what, what's, the process. what's one of the most like going back to being a kid and watching cartoons and like somebody in the cartoon who's like trying to write a, a something and what's behind them, a bunch of, you know, crumpled up pieces of paper yeah. on the ground. Yeah, behind. Yeah. It's like one of the, That's it's like, one of the, yeah, exactly. It's one of the <laughs> oldest memes in the world. Yeah. Right. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I dig it. Yeah. Mums. All right. You yeah. go. Okay. Yeah. All right. We're going to, we're going to jump out of, <laughs> out of, out of the workspace for a minute, because yeah, even yeah. though all this I'm yeah. sure is absolutely fun and, and you enjoy it as if it's a hobby, you actually do mm-hmm. have a hobby that I know of. And, and you went on a, a very long cycling trip oh when you took God. that time off. Seriously. And it just fascinates me because <laughs> like, I don't envision you as like, be like, cause I know that you're very tall and that must be a mm-hmm. little bit mm-hmm. awkward. Like you said, you had to give up mm-hmm. um, like the BMX <laughs> stuff um, to, yeah. because you got so tall. What was it like going on a, a trip across? I believe you went like across Europe, right? On yeah. a bike. Yeah. How did you, how did you yeah. manage that? Like, I don't, I, I can't even like figure <laughs> out the logistics of Seriously. how you like have your gear and stuff with you on a bike ride. And, and what did you, how did each day go? How does that even work? Yeah. I mean, I will like happily say it was, it was definitely one of the best experiences of my life. Like it was so incredible. And it's something that I'm going to try and factor into my life going forwards in some hybrid way where I don't have to like leave everything behind <laughs> when I, when I do it. Um, <laughs> But but yeah, I mean, logistically, it's it's actually kind of simple. You look at two locations on a map and you say, like, I kind of want to cycle between those two things. And then you try and find routes that look interesting. And then and then you pack everything that you think you'll need, fully understanding that you're going to forget multiple important things. <laughs> um, and then the important step is actually just getting on the ferry and going because you can work yourself up into not doing it very easily and mm, I, and I wow. actually did that like I put off the 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 trip by a week um because I was convinced like oh you know like uh, the train strikes are looking a bit weird like I don't know if we'll be able to do it <laughs> and then it was like oh you know I I kind of want different cycling trousers like I, I kind of want something slightly different so we'll wait for those to arrive and you can get yourself caught up in 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 analyzing all your kit and making sure it's perfect and the reality is like you just have to like set off and um and accept that the, the the trip is going to have like some crazy highs and crazy lows and um 
Yeah, I did it with my girlfriend, Vicky, who, I mean, you say it's impressive for me. That was Vicky's third time on a bike. Wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> was cycling to Europe, was cycling to Rome. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, she, <laughs> so, so that was like a real trial by fire. Like she just, she had been on like two bike rides with me. I think she'd done a total of like 50 kilometers, which is about 30 miles. And then she embarked on a 2000 mile trip to, to Rome. Oh, my gosh. Um, and and yeah, we both just cycle together and you just have to take it day by day. You know, you're you're knocking off between I'll do it in miles, like sixty to to ninety miles per day, um, depending on elevation. And uh yeah, you just you just keep riding where do you, where, do you, where do you sleep? <laughs> what like what at the end of the day, where do you sleep? Are you camping or you or you have to book yeah, so stuff had, in advance? What how do you how's that work? No, so we we just had a tent on on like strapped to my my rear pack, and uh, yeah, you just turn up to a campsite. Hope that they've got a spot. If you don't, accept uh, that the ditch is going to be your friend, and you have to sleep there. Um, <laughs> wow! Um, but hopefully, hopefully you'll find campsites, which we thankfully did every single night, um, and and then pick up food as you go. Carry as little food as possible. Hope that that all the shops will have food that you need, um, and then. Just really try and be as present as possible and in, and enjoy it as much as possible and understand that this is like a fleeting experience. Wow. And and I, uh, not to monologue on too much about it, but there was like a really beautiful moment for me, which was uh, we were in Switzerland um, at the foot of the Alps. So we had this huge climb coming. It was like two and a half thousand meters, which is about 7,000 feet. I, I would assume seven and a half thousand feet, maybe even more. Um which with all of your kit is a that's a big climb um and and we were cycling along we were like preparing for this moment and then this kid like cycled out of his school and he was just on his ride home and i just remember thinking to myself like it's crazy to me that this person is on there just like daily ride like they're thinking nothing about this <laughs> and like here i am like i've cycled here from my house and like this is i'm about to embark on something that I'm probably going to remember for the rest of my life, like cycling over the Alps. And this this kid is just making his way home. And it was just such a beautiful moment for me about wow. w w the different stories that every single person has in life. And yes. everyone has their own things going on, you know? Yes. That's <laughs> um, not, Dude, so, so yeah. you got to... Oh, man, just get over here to Arizona. We're going to hike the Grand Canyon. So I've done it a couple of times where I hike all the way to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I live down there man. for a few days and then come back out. And That's crazy. I'd love that. Oh, That'd it's be amazing. So cool. It's an amazing experience. Yeah. And you, you wear that backpack and and you're going yeah. over that metal bridge. It's like 100 feet over the Colorado rushing, you know, rapids. And oh. it's 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 amazing. And it's super magical. Yeah. And everybody I pass, I'm like, you know, what's their story? What's their story? I, you always yeah, want to know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I pass one person yeah. and they look at me and they go, Andy? I'm like, what is this? It's a guy <laughs> I used to work with like years before. I'm like, how am That's I just amazing. bumping into you? And it's just, yeah. I'm with you, man. Everybody's got a story and yeah. it's, and they just, yeah. when they come together, it's a beautiful thing. It's great that you got a yeah. chance to do that because, you know, you, you were pretty much stuck at your desk for 10 years, just feeling yeah. like I have to keep doing this. I have to keep doing yeah. this, making videos, making mm -hmm. videos. And you finally allowed yourself to say, I'm going to take time off for me. Uh, yep. you know, and go recharge the batteries. And it sounds like you had some amazing experiences you'll never forget. Yeah. And and, yeah. and how did it feel coming back? I know we're running short on time, but how did it feel coming back? Did you feel like <laughs> it, it did exactly what you set out to do as far as like getting you back in the, the headspace and the, the recharge kind of feeling? Um, so there's like two sides to it. The answer is yes. But it took about two weeks for me to stop having an existential crisis, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> and I'm like laughing, um, but there was it was a strange thing to come home mm. um, because when you're on something like that, your direction is so clear. Um, is you are literally you have a direction. <laughs> you are cycling towards a location. Your your direction in life couldn't be much clearer. Uh, and I think. Uh, coming home i was then hit by the same questions that i'd almost left behind when i left mm -hmm. and like am i gonna oh, sorry <laughs> uh, like am i going to be am i going to be a filmmaker am i going to pursue youtube uh what what am i going to you know what does the next 10 years look like all of those questions kind of bubbled up in like a, a big way and suddenly i was faced with multiple directions didn't really know how to handle them um so for about two weeks, I was pretty lost and just had no clue what was going on. Um, and then I finally like came out the other end and I was like, you know what? Like, I'm incredibly happy. I'm in a very fortunate position where 
I can just make things that I really want to make, uh, mm. and I can be creative in my own special way and and create videos purely for me that I can upload on my my own platform that people are looking forward to watching. I mean, what a crazy situation that is. How beautiful is that? And like from that moment on, like I was like switched on to being like, okay, that is absolutely in my direction for the foreseeable future, and I can't wait for it. Um, so it did, it did kick in. <laughs> it just took it took yeah. two weeks of of being completely like, yeah, like a broken person. Uh, and I think some of that's fatigue as well. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, but you yeah. can feel it. Like so, like you feel it. Like hanging out with you on Hermitcraft and stuff. Like like hmm. can feel your energy is back, uh, and you're loving mm-hmm. what you're doing. You can see it in the videos that you're mm-hmm. releasing. Um, that that you're loving what you're doing because that's something you can't hide as a content creator. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you make yeah. something yeah. that you're not enjoying making, it's going to come. It's going to come across no matter what. Mm-hmm. No, like nobody's mm-hmm. good enough to hide that. And so yeah. I, I've been seeing that in your in your videos again. And it's it's great to have you back, dude. Uh, that's, that's uh, let me just say that I'm glad I'm glad you were able to take the time <laughs> you needed. I'm glad you were able to uh, to to work through all that and then come back on the other mm-hmm. side and just be in a in a great space. So. Um, yeah, I just wanted to tell no, you that. I appreciate it's great. It. We all missed you while you were on the break, but we all understood <laughs> what it was for. And uh, yeah. to to have it turn out the way it did, uh, we're all very happy for you. Oh no, I mean, I'm yeah, and I want to say thank you ever so much to all of the the members of the Hermitcraft server for also not only giving me the time, you know, like for someone to leave the server on episode two. <laughs> That's not that's kind of a bit rough, you know, <laughs> to just immediately up sticks and go. Um, so I really appreciate how warm everyone was to welcome me back and then um yeah, to have such a wonderful time playing with everyone like has just been has been the best. And yeah, I'm 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 so so happy with, with where my current position is and I'm just so happy with the balance that I've managed to find in my life and, and a lot of that is to do with with the lovely uh, environment that the Hermitcraft server is. So That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. All right. Well, yeah. Mumbo's camera is literally running out of disk space. So, oh, yeah. We've uh, got 39 seconds. So we're going to wrap things up here. Thank wow. you guys so That's much impressive. for joining us. This is going to be the most, most rushed outro. Yeah. Thank you, Mumbo. It's been a pleasure man. having you. And uh, yeah. Thank you. Total yeah. honor. Welcome back anytime. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being here. <laughs> mumbo, you. You, you're a good you're a good dude, man. You're just a good <laughs> dude. You just threw and through. So thank you for this time. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I love being here. Awesome. See you later. See you guys. Bye. Oh, we, we managed to get it perfectly. That's eight seconds left. Yes.